All right, so um, if, if you've spent any time uh, here over the last several years, I guess I've, I've been uh, doing a study on the attributes of God and, uh, you know, kind of you've gone through all the, you know, the 10 attributes that we kind of commonly teach here. And then we started going through some different attributes of God, long suffering, goodness, peace, things like that. And pastor and I thought it might just be a time for me to pivot, pivot my study a little bit. And, um, so we just kind of been brainstorming some topics and, and one that kind of seemed to come to the forefront and I thought would be a nice little tie in. And we both thought would be a nice little tie into the attributes of God is, talking about our, our recent theme at camp. And uh, that theme at camp this summer was Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. And um, so we had very varied speakers that spoke at camp and we had a lot of great lessons about um, the fact that he provides um, for us for our greatest need, uh, salvation, which is what I'm gonna cover today. Um, I had intended to cover the three tenses of salvation today pretty extensively, but I was supposed to speak a few weeks ago, and then pastor had to get back for a funeral, and so he just pushed it off to this time here, and and uh, so with that, I, I started finding some more things to study, and, and uh, so I'm going to just cover the first tense of salvation today, so, but yeah, I'm going to be, you know, my next topics here are going to be Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides, and we're going to have an opportunity to go over just, I think there could be a whole varied amount of lessons about what Jehovah Jireh provides for us, but we'll, we'll just kind of start with our, our first one here and, and get rocking and rolling. But, um, but yeah, it's, I think it's a, it, I think it'll be a nice transition, hopefully, um, Lord willing, in, in that, that we can have some time to go through everything we know who our God is, we're continually learning who our God is um, via his attributes and having, trying to have a greater appreciation of that. But hopefully through this study here on Jehovah Jireh, we can see that what he provides for us um, by a rest and reliance on him. So, <coughs> excuse me, I'm fighting a bit of a cold here, so I, I trust that uh, hopefully I can get through this without getting too many coughing jags here. So I apologize in advance if, if I do, but... Um, so I guess as a means of getting started, I always like to just kind of walk backwards to what, um, what my last lesson was. We covered the, the attribute of God as peace, and we think about the fact that um, we saw some truths about God's peace. We saw, the first of all, that God's peace was always available. Um, in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, it says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. So we saw that his peace is always available. We saw that God's peace is not always understood in Philippians 4. <coughs> Excuse me. 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, we can't fully understand his peace, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. We saw that God's peace is provided by him in Isaiah 26, 12. It says, Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. So his peace is established by him. God's peace is perfect. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then we saw that God's peace provides safety and security in John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we think about this, and, and uh, we, we think about even in light of what's happening now, you know, over in Israel, over the last week or so, we, we think about, you know, is, can we have peace amongst that, what's going on? Um, is God still in control? Well, we, we know that God is a sovereign God. He's still in control of everything. Now, <clears throat> doesn't mean that there isn't going to be conflict and um, we don't want to minimize that, but the reality is, is nothing escapes God's purview and we have to keep that in our forefront, in our thinking. Do we have peace in dealing with trials? Do we have peace in dealing with on a, on a closer to home front, um, our financial trials, our, any sort of work-related trials, any sort of conflict with uh, friends or family or whatever the case might be. Um, 
God provides peace, and um, ultimately we have to be having a, a mindset of a focus on him rather, fo- rather than focusing on the situation and circumstances around us, but ultimately that's what we need to see here is he provides peace. So as we get into our lesson today, we want to take a look at the idea that Jehovah Jireh, he provides salvation. So I'm going to title all these lessons, he provides something. Um, there might be a he provides salvation part two. He provides salvation part three for second and third tense as I, as I get into those. But we'll, we'll see where, where it goes as, as I'm studying and preparing. But, um, so ultimately, we take a look at what God provides, Jehovah Jireh provides for us. So um, in doing this, I thought probably the best thing to do is just let's define salvation. So I just pulled some, some definitions for the word salvation here, the act of uh, Saving or protecting from harm, risk, loss, or destruction. Um, the state of being saved or protected from harm or risk, similar there. Freedom, the, now this would be kind of the biblical side of salvation. The biblical view is freedom from the effects of the fall of man. Um, and we'll see that here as we, we go through our lesson um, today. And then the idea of he provides salvation is uh, deliverance or redemption is maybe another Definition. So, um, since we didn't have the, the song of the month today, um, Mrs. Lehman came up and asked me if I was going to pick up the guitar and do the song of the month, and I said, no, that's, nobody would want that. And I said, I don't have the, the skill or the boldness of your son to, to do any of that. So I certainly don't have the skill to play the guitar. Um, but I have been, much to the, probably the annoyance of my family, um, I, there's, there's a song, and I, I, I'm sure Pastor Gus will listen to this, but one of the, my favorite songs I've been listening to um, is called Fear Is Not My Future, and it's by Elevation Worship, and they did the Jira song and the Graves into Gardens, so I know Gus and Leah, are, they're dialed in, to, they can probably figure this out, so uh, there's a little hint for hopefully a future song of the month is Fear Is Not My Future, but... What has been really encouraging to me is I've been listening to that song and uh, probably annoying my daughter to the, because there's a part in the chorus where you sing it and you echo back, you know, and so I make her echo back to me when we're riding the vehicle together or whatever. But the idea is I, what, what I like about the song, or at least the words in the song, is it talks about, I feel like there, it talks about the different it almost kind of talks about the different tenses of salvation. Well, maybe that's just what I'm getting out of it because that's what I've been studying, but I, I, don't, I don't know. That, that could be the case. But if you look at the different tenses of salvation, and this is a, kind of a, um, a handout that, that you're going to see. Um, I'll probably be using this a lot. I know pastors put it up there. I did some, some tweaking to it um, as far as uh, making the little guys on there and stuff, so I was having a little fun with that this week, trying to mess around with that. But... Um, but the idea of this song, Fear's Not My Future, and whether it's the, the verse, the chorus, the bridge, I, I don't know. But um, I'll, I'll let Gus could probably explain that a little better. But the idea of the song, it, it says in the song, Hello peace, hello joy, hello love, hello strength, hello hope. It's a new horizon. So the idea of the fact of, for us, as we're as we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the idea of first tense salvation, we're, we're saved from sin's penalty here. It, it shows on, on here. We're saved from the penalty of sin. The idea is we're, we heard a message on Wednesday night, a, f- a few Wednesdays back from Poochie Jones from DBC came up here and spoke. And he, he, used, he did uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.13. If anyone is, is in Christ, he is a new creature. Uh, he's a new creation. Old things are, are passed away. Behold, all, all things are new. So the idea is we're a new creation. And the idea is w- once we accept Christ as our personal Savior, um, there's a new horizon in view for us. So that to me, I, I kind of was likening that to, to first tense salvation. And then there's another part of the song that it talks about the fact that fear is not my future. You are. Um, that's where the echo comes in, you know, so I make Josie echo back when we're singing. And sickness is not my story, you are. Heartbreak is not my home, you are. So this idea, and then later on in the song, um, you know, not the radio version of the song, but if you listen to it on, 
on the on YouTube or something like that. There's it's like an eight minute song, you know. So then later on in the version, they talk about goodbye fear, goodbye guilt, goodbye shame. So all these things. Um, I kind of liken that to second tense salvation, being saved from sin's power in our life. So this idea of the power of sin over us um, moment by moment. You know, once we get saved, we see here that that we have a... uh, um, Whoops. My eternal struggle with the... uh, There you go. I think this is going to work. So once we get saved, we have an old sin nature. We have a Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit indwells us, and we have an old, old sin nature. We, we're, born, we're born in Adam. We're born with a sin nature. Once we get saved, that's called an old sin nature. But that sin nature is still inside of us, and we have an opportunity to either <coughs> serve self, yield to the old sin nature, or we're yielding to the Holy Spirit. Um, so this idea here that, you know, I kind of felt like in, in this song that, that this thought here is, you know, in second tense salvation, we can say we don't have to be occupied by fear. We don't have to be occupied by guilt, shame, or pain. We are given a new horizon, right? Um, we're, we're a new creation. We're, we're new um, in Christ. Um, and, and then if you think about the third tense of salvation, the idea of the fact that we will be um, ultimately away from the presence of sin um, in eternity, the, one of the, the verses on that song says, um, death is not the end, Jesus, you are. So the idea is death is, as, and once you're saved and once you're part of God's family, death isn't the end. You, 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 that's, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is we become Absent with the body, present with the Lord, we're a part of, we're going to be in eternity with heaven, in eternity in heaven with Jesus, with God. So we're ultimately going to be saved from the presence of sin. So, <coughs> so that's what we see here. Um, I thought it was just kind of an interesting comparison. Like I said, it might not be, a, it might be a, a, you know, maybe a bit of a reach. I don't know, but it's just something that's been on my mind. If you have your Bibles with you today, I don't, I don't think I put it on the overhead, but let's turn to Titus chapter 2. And we can see that, you know, one thing is, you know, we talk about the, the kind of the, um, the tenses of salvation as a, as a core doctrine. Um, what, what we need to see is sometimes in the Word of God, there's different, you know, when it talks about salvation, there's, you've got to be mindful of which tense of salvation we're talking about here. So <coughs> I just want to show this passage in Titus that has all three tenses um, there. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11. So Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So that we can see here, is speaking of first tense salvation. Titus 2.11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So the idea of the Lord would, would have us to be yielding to the Holy Spirit as we're living the Christian life, um, moment by moment, um, th- this idea of um, he, he would want us to be yielding to what the Holy Spirit would have for us, not what our flesh, not what our, our sin nature wants to be doing. So verse 12 talks about second tense salvation. And verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, that points to third tense salvation. The idea of ultimately <coughs> that blessed hope and glorious appearing will be saved from the presence of sin. All right, so, um, you know, I, again, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of talk through this a little bit here as we get going, or as we're kind of working through our lesson today. Um, I, I guess, I, I don't know that, you know, we, we can, some of you may or may not have seen this, this uh, you know, if you, if you grew up in the church here, 
You grew up in the Sunday school program here. <coughs> you saw this handout, <coughs> you saw this layout um, in this, you know, in some form like this. So I guess from that perspective, you know, ho- hopefully it's familiar. If, if you're new here, if you haven't been coming here a lot, you know, just, you know, take it in a little bit, you know, you're not fully going to probably understand the three tenses of salvation, but it's just like line upon line, precept upon precept. You just kind of keep taking it in, kind of looking at it. The most important tense of salvation is is first tense for us, where we talk about being saved from sin's penalty, and and we'll kind of dive into that a little bit more today here. So (coughs) ultimately, if you look at the idea of being saved from sin's penalty, we talk about the gospel, right? The gospel of, of, of Jesus Christ. So the idea here is uh, we have the, the standpoint that we're all sinners, right? So you got us right here. We're going to put God right here. God is the Father. God is the Son. And he's the Holy Spirit. So this idea here is that we, you know, we, we talk about this in uh, um, Sunday school, the idea of our our, our sins kind of create a barrier between us and God. The fact that we know, thinking back to his attributes, that God is a perfectly righteous God. He's a just God. So a just and a righteous God, he, he cannot have fellowship with a sinful man. So we know that in Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, there's none righteous, no, not one. In, in Isaiah 64, 6, it says all of our righteousnesses, everything that we try to do in our own flesh, flesh is what? It's a filthy rag. It amounts to nothing. So man is, man is in this problem. He's in this predicament. Um, he's born into sin. We're all born in Adam. We're, we're born in sin. Um, but so what God, in the fact that he's a righteous and a just God, can't have fellowship with man or can't communicate with man, so what does he do? He says, I'm going to provide a solution. So one thing about one of God's greatest attributes, I believe, is his attribute of love. So God is a loving God. He's not desirous that any should perish, right? He wants us all to be saved. So what he did is he said, um, I know that anything that these people do, this, this crew down here does, can, can, nothing can measure up. Um, so... He said, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we know that we're all born in sin. The wages, the penalty for that sin is death. But what ultimately ends up happening is God says, I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, down to earth to take on the form of of a man. He's going to spend time on earth, and ultimately, he's going to pay the penalty for their sin. And that's the idea of the gift. That's the gift of God. So you think about a gift, and the the key thing about a gift is it has to be received. You have to accept a gift. A gift can just sit there. If somebody gives you a gift (coughs) at Christmas time, at your birthday, whatever the case might be, and you're not just going to sit there and look at that gift on the floor and say, boy, that's a pretty cool gift, and uh, go about your day. You're not. You're going to accept that gift. You're going to receive the gift. And we think about the, uh, the gift of salvation that he extends to us by sending Jesus Christ down to earth to hang on that cross to pay the penalty for our sins. We accept that gift by faith, and that's the idea here. We, we have this idea here of, of us accepting um, God's gracious gift, his grace gift, um, of putting his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, and we accept that gift um, by faith. And it's a a simple faith response. You know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Both those verses say, believe it. It's that simple. There's nothing else. There, there's nothing else that has to go along with it. You just have to accept it. You accept the free gift by faith. And ultimately, you get to have, <coughs> you get to experience <coughs> first tense salvation. The idea, the principle or the, the concept that we talk about here is justification. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more here as we get into that. But um, 
that, that is first hand salvation. We are saved, and that happens at a point in time in our life. We can point back to a lot of people when they give their testimony, can point back to a specific time of, yes, I got saved on this date and time. There might be other people that were saved as, as very young people that maybe not maybe can't point back to a specific date or time, but it's just something that they, they always believed, and, and they, they've trusted in that fact. Um, you know, and they, they maybe can't share the exact date that it happened. For me, it was more of a time frame. You know, it was uh, hearing the gospel in, in, you know, at, at camp when I was in fourth grade, Camp Siegel. And uh, um, Kendall Mackey was the counselor's name. And I, I'm pretty sure it was Rob Kruger was in there as well, too. Uh, they were my counselors. And, uh, and they put my name into John 3.16. And for me, that was a, a seminal moment for me to understand that, yeah, that um, Christ died for my sins and it made it personal for me. Um, I still had some doubts. You know, I, I walked away from that. I, I, you know, I, do, do I know if I got saved exactly then? I, I do know a couple years later at, at VBS um, in sixth grade, I believe it was, <coughs> and, and uh, we were covering John 10, uh, 27 through 29 and the concept of eternal security and, and it was explained to me by the, the teachers uh, about you know placing your, your you're placed in the, the hand of God and God the Father covers you and, and you know, the idea of God being omnipotent and all powerful and you can't escape from God and that whole and to me that I, I feel like that's when I finally got it, that I understood the concept of eternal security, that I could never lose my salvation. I think for a while there, I always kind of thought I could lose it. But that happened at a point in time that I got saved. You know, just a little side story to that. How important is VBS and camp ministries? I mean, you think about that. Um, there's probably many people sitting in this auditorium right now um, that have similar stories to being saved at camp or saved, saved at uh, VBS or saved in Sunday school. Um, those are very important ministries, something to keep praying about, keep praying for staffing of those ministries, people willing to do it. Um, that's, uh, those, are, those are pretty neat ministries there if you think about that. Um, so you, you think about the fact that we're saved from sin's penalty excuse me, this idea of first tense salvation. Um, so to, to kind of dig into it a little bit more here, um, well, we have that little handout there. Um, the, the idea is I want to kind of explore this term of justification. And what does justification mean? If we're talking first tense salvation and the idea of, of justification here, the idea that, you know, keep in mind that the whole framework here is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. The Lord is providing for our first tense salvation. So <clears throat> the, the definition of justification is an act of God by which he pronounces a sinner to be righteous based, based because of that sinner's faith in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on his behalf. So that's the idea here of justification. It's essentially, it's a judicial act of God. It's salvation we saw from the penalty of sin. We're saved from the penalty of sin. Yeah, justification is apart from the law. It's, it's, it's not, it, it can't be earned through rules, uh, following a set of rules. It can't be earned through any good works. Justification is a legal transaction. Um, and that's, that's the thing to, to understand here. It's a free gift from God via his son that demonstrates his righteousness. The fact that he's a, a loving and righteous God. Um, his righteousness is essentially imputed or it's credited to our account. And it talks about that in Romans chapter 4. Um, and, and the last point here is, it's a, I, I think I said this, it's a legal term in that God made him, Jesus Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the idea here is we, we it's the, that song, His Robes for Mine, right? Um, oh, oh, wonderful exchange. And I was, I was reading something this week, and I thought it would, or last week or whatever, as I was leading up to this lesson. 
and we think about the greatest change, his, his robes for mine, the idea of if we're clothed with his righteousness. We, <coughs> excuse me, we still have our sin nature. Um, it's still inside of us. It doesn't take, I'm, I'm saved. I was saved when I was 12 years old, 52 now. Um, I still have a sin nature. That's pretty evident. Um, we all have sin natures. We, our sin nature is not eradicated. But that idea of his robes for mine, the idea of that, the, that great exchange, and I was reading a, a, a little devotional and it talked about the, it, it talked about a, a great trade. And you think about you know, me being kind of a sports guy, I like sports, and you think about you know, a sports analogy of a, of a trade. And you think about uh, maybe a team, say your favorite team had made a good trade or a, a really bad trade. It was a really poor trade. And, you know, being uh, Minnesota Vikings fans around here, right? Um, and, you know, when I was a senior in high school, 1989, the Vikings made a trade. Um, and, you know... For some of you, I, I know this is going to bring up some bad memories, but it did for me. I was kind of, it hurt my heart as I was thinking about it, but remember the Herschel Walker trade with Dallas? You know? So we traded, the Vikings traded uh, like four players and a whole bunch of draft picks to Dallas. And the Vikings got Herschel Walker and a f- bunch of low draft picks, you know, so... When you're, if you're not a football guy, you know, higher draft picks, first and second round are pretty important. They lead to, in theory, good players. And, and uh, so you, they actually, ESPN did a documentary called The Great Trade Robbery in 1989. <sighs> another, as a Vikings fan, it kind of hurts a little bit. Um, but the idea here was, is, you know, you can look at this trade and say, wow, was that a lopsided trade? And, you know, the six years after the trade, you know, one of the draft picks that the Dallas Cowboys got from the Vikings was a guy named Emmett Smith. Turned out to be a pretty good running back, like one of the top five running backs ever. And uh, a couple other all-pro guys that they, you know, got. And <coughs> they uh, won three Super Bowls in six years after that trade. And the Vikings, uh, at least the Vikings went to a Super Bowl. Oh, wait, no, at least the Vikings won us. No, no, they didn't. So <laughs> I'm not bitter or anything, but, 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 the, but the principle is there. I, I thought the, the principle from the devotion side of it was the trade, the great exchange that we are a part of, the moment we accept Christ as our personal Savior, is the greatest trade ever. And that is the principle. You know, we can, say, we can think about, um, you know, you know yeah, okay, yeah, I, won't, I was going to say another basketball trade, you know, the Timberwolves. And again, you know, just traded for Rudy Gobert, you know, and stuff, and eight draft picks and whatever. And it's just like, you know, whatever. Is it going to work out? I have no idea. But, but this trade, this great trade, is, is in that, I, I thought from that little devotional, I thought that was so good to think about that that great exchange, and, and we think about the fact that the moment we accept Christ as our personal Savior, we're part of the greatest trade in history. We get his robes for mine. We get the opportunity to spend eternity with him. I cannot, you cannot even explain the importance of that in light of eternity. You know, ultimately, you, you, you even think about everything that's going on right now in this world, right? You think about everything that's going on in this world right now. And there's all kinds of stuff happening. Even just I touched on it in my prayer in Israel right now. And you can even talk about, you know, the standpoint of what's going on in this country. Um, what's going on with our, you know, the decline in morality and values and whatever the case might be. You know, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, let's be realistic. But, but, the thing, the thing to ultimately keep in view is we have to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? That, that's what we need to be focused on. And have, have the opportunity to have more people 
experience the greatest trade in human history. That, that I think is what we always have to keep in mind. Not that all this other stuff shouldn't give us pause, right? It shouldn't give us concern. I, I agree. I mean, we, we need to be praying for Israel. We need to be praying for um, the leaders in our country. We need to be praying for the freedoms that we have, that we can continue to have these freedoms. And we are under attack. We, we know that. But keep that in mind. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified so many more people can experience the greatest trade in human history. I guess just something to think about there. Um, so he provides salvation, Jehovah Jireh. So let's turn in our Bibles. I, I'm going to get you turning around here. So now, now you're going to, I didn't talk, I didn't have you turn in the Bibles for the first bit of the message, but now you're going to be turning. So Genesis 22, and if you have a bookmark, <coughs> excuse me, if you're a bookmark kind of person, you might want to keep it in Genesis 22, because this is the one spot in the Bible where it talks about the actual name Jehovah Jireh. So Genesis 22, so I want to talk about that. And then uh, we'll go to verse 14, Genesis twenty-two, fourteen. 14. And then I thought as we talk about justification, I think there's a really interesting parallel here um, about Isaac and Jesus Christ, Isaac being a type, picture type of Jesus Christ that I'd like to spend the rest of the time on this morning here. So um, Genesis twenty-two, fourteen. It says here, And Abraham called the, the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said today, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. It's the only spot in the Bible where it's, it talks about Jehovah Jireh. That, that's uh, the Lord will provide. Um, I believe. I, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, John Cross, in his book on, so we're doing in, in, in Sunday school, senior high Sunday school, we're going through the By This Name book um, by John Cross. And in chapter six of that book, he has a, I, I should have actually brought the book with, but he talks about just a slight nuance there in the fact of Genesis twenty-two fourteen. It stated that the Lord will provide, not the verses the Lord has, has provided here. Oops, I got to stay up with my PowerPoint here. Um, will provide versus has provided. And the idea is, is that was an intentional use of wordage, wording, because wordage. Is that even a word? I don't think it is. Um, this, this is intentional because it points to a future provision for the sins of the world. Um, a coming redeemer for, you know, for, for our sins. So I, I thought that was just kind of an interesting, I'd never heard that pointed out before. So um, kind of interesting there. But the, the idea of Isaac here, this story in, in Genesis 22 is a, is a, in, in earlier in Genesis as well, is a picture type of Jesus Christ in two ways. First is their similarities in birth, um, foreshadow Jesus Christ. And then secondly, the offering of Isaac foreshadows the cross at Calvary. So um, some of you may have heard this before, some of these before. I, I thought it was just a great it's a great way to kind of go through it and, and just look at this as, as we go through this story. I, there was, I learned a bunch of new things as I was kind of, <coughs> excuse me, researching this a little bit. Very fascinating. The birth of Isaac foreshadows the birth of Jesus Christ. And I, I got a lot of this information from uh, Arthur Pink is, is the author. He writes a book called Gleanings in Genesis. Very, very good book. Um, very, I don't, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty old, I'm thinking. I remember when Becky and I were at a church in, in Colorado, Colorado Rocky Mountain Bible Church in uh, Grand Lake, Colorado, many years ago, 20 plus years ago, 25 years ago. And uh, the pastor there went through Pink's book on the comparisons of, of Joseph and Jesus Christ. And there was like 101 comparisons or whatever. Very fascinating study. So, um, I thought I started looking through this a little bit, and I thought it was very, it was very good. I, hopefully, you'll you'll find some nuggets here or whatever. But the idea, the birth of Isaac, foreshadows the birth of Jesus Christ. Each was a promised seed and a son, so that's the first similarity. The idea of uh, Isaac being a promised seed from to Abraham in Genesis 17. Um, the idea of 
Jesus Christ. Way back to Genesis 3.15, his seed, um, her seed, her seed and his seed, you know, in, in Genesis 3.15. So the idea is, and, and then we also have, you know, in Isaiah 7.14, we can turn there, but, but maybe I should turn there just to read it. Uh, you, you don't have to turn there. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So that's the idea of, of uh, prophesied um, that a virgin is going to um, bear, bear a son. A son is going to be born of a virgin. His name is going to be Emmanuel. His name will be uh, Jesus. Um, what's, what's the second point here? There was a lengthy interval between God's promise and its realization. So the original promise in Genesis twelve seven to Isaac or to Abraham was given, I believe, so we know Abraham had Isaac when he was about 100 years old, I think. And that was fulfilled in, in Genesis 20, <coughs> 21, Isaac's birth. Um, the original promise, I believe, was in the 25 to 30 year range ahead of that. So there was a, a lengthy period of time. Obviously, we know that Abraham uh, was trying to take matters into his own hand at some point and, and uh, you know, took Hagar, uh, Sarah's servant, um, and had Ishmael uh, with, with Hagar. And um, so, you know, there was obviously, a, you know, either a, a, you know, a lack of, of faith there for a while, but um, so, but there was some time interval there. Um, Christ's death was prophesied was the original promise was in Genesis, so some 4,000 years prior. And then I read that passage in, in Isaiah as well, some however many years prior to his actual fulfillment. So the idea is Isaac, each, each was a promised seed and son. There was a lengthy interview, inter, interval between this promise and its realization. The third point, God's omnipotence was affirmed in each case. <coughs> so this idea here of Genesis 18, and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So this idea here that God's omnipotence was affirmed in each case. Uh, Sarah being in advanced age, what would be considered childbearing age. She was, I, I, I think, 90 or 99, or I, I don't know the exact ages. I should, probably should know that a little bit more, but um, she was advanced age. What, what you would consider, um, but is anything too hard for the Lord? That, 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 was the, that was the omnipotence of God. That was the, the providence of God here. Um, this idea, is anything too hard to the Lord? You even take about, think about th this idea of, you know, God being an omnipotent God, and see, I just can't get away from the attributes, right? Um, that the fact that who is on our side in every situation? God is on our side in every situation. He's an all-powerful God. He can He can work us through situations that, while they may seem overwhelming at the time, um, He's He's on our side. Um, how about Luke, um, chapter one? Let's, uh, you can turn there if you want. Um, I'll just turn there to, just to read it rather than just kind of summarizing it. Luke chapter one, verse 34. We think about Christ's birth, right? And we think about the, the promise or, or the statement that was told to Joseph, I think. Luke chapter 1, verse 34 to Mary. Sorry. Um, Luke 1, 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? So God's birth is, Jesus' birth is told to Mary. Mary's like, um, uh, this isn't going to happen. I, I don't know a man. And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come unto you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. 
For with God, nothing will be impossible. The omnipotence of God, the orchestration of God, Since when has impossible ever stopped God, right? It, it, it can't stop him. Now keep in mind, this God is the same God that wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us. He wants us to draw on that strength and that power and that, um, he, he wants us to be, to be, have a relationship with him, to have a personal, to call on him when in the midst of a trial. Um, to call on him when we're going through horrific situations. In the fact that fear isn't our future. The fact that sickness isn't our story. That heartbreak is not our home. That's what the Lord wants. He wants us to, to call on him. Because with my God, nothing's impossible. That's what we have to remember here. And that, that was the, the, the parallel here between uh, Isaac and Jesus Christ's birth. God's omnipotence was affirmed in each case. We see that their name was specified before, before birth. Again, these aren't a real life-shattering things, but you know, just kind of little nuanced. If you kept your... Mark in uh, Genesis, back to 22. <coughs> Genesis 22. Um, now take your son, your only son. Well, that, um, Genesis 17, 9, sorry. Um, where it says, uh, God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Oh, uh, I thought there was a spot where it says Isaac in there. Is it 19? Did I have the right? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. It's, it's uh, 1719, not 179. Sorry about that. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Again, so this, is, this was prior to his birth here. The name was specified before verse, his birth, and we saw that with, with Christ as well, too. In Matthew one twenty one. you don't have to turn there. It says, uh, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. So, um, so we see his name was specified before birth. Um, I thought this was kind of an interesting um, again, I, I don't know. It, it, maybe we're just maybe we're reaching a little bit here. Maybe Pink, as he's doing these comparisons, is reaching. But I, I, just fascinating. The birth occurred on God's timeline. The reality is, is I, I thought about this. Everything really occurs on God's timeline. We 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 try to, as best we can, we try to plan. And and there's nothing wrong with planning things. There's nothing wrong with preparing for things. But ultimately, everything occurs on God's timeline. Genesis 21, 2, it says, at the set time of which God has spoken, um, talked about uh, um, Isaac's birth here in, in Genesis 21, and then Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time, of the time had come, God sent forth his son. So all of this happened at God's set timeline here. Um, uh, another one, he provides salvation, um, the, the foreshadowing of, of um, Isaac, and each birth required a miracle. You can kind of go back to number three um, there, where we talked about the omnipotence, and for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And um, So that kind of parallels that. And then one I didn't put on here was, um, I thought this was kind of interesting too, the name Isaac, which means laughter, declared him to be his father's delight, much as the same Christ is called in Matthew 17, 5, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, so that just kind of a nice little parallel there as well, too. So we think about this, and, and you think about the, uh, the idea of the, the birth of Isaac compared with the birth of Christ is kind of a foreshadowing of Christ. And then 
more importantly, as it pertains to our context here in our passage, is the offering of Isaac in Genesis 22 foreshadows the cross at Calvary. And um, the first one, and, and I, I hadn't heard this before, and um, I thought this was very fascinating, is the location of the sacrifice. So let, now we're in Genesis 22, and it says, verse 1, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Verse 2, and he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So if somebody were to ask me where uh, Isaac was off or sacrificed or the offering of Isaac, I would have said Mount Moriah. But the interesting thing is, is go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you, which he told Abraham that, but I, I don't know of anywhere where that's recorded in, in scripture here. So I thought this was kind of fascinating. This is from Arthur Pink Gleanings in Genesis. And I, I thought rather than try to explain it, I just would, would read what he says. Um, the writer, so this is Pink, has little doubt that the particular mountain upon which Isaac was bound to the altar was Calvary itself. Now, I had never heard that before. Now, again, this is Arthur Pink's interpretation of it. This isn't scripture, so I, I suppose we need to be a little bit, you know, cautious of that, but interesting. Here, the mountain is not denominated. It was one of the mountains in the land of Moriah. It is significant that Moriah means the Lord will provide. And Calvary was one of the mountains in the land of Moriah. What seems to identify Isaac's mountain with Calvary is not only that the marvelous fullness and accuracy of this type would seem to require it, but the fact that in Genesis 22:14, the mount, this mount on which Isaac was offered is distinctly termed the mount of the Lord, which that's what it said, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided at the end of verse 14. Surely this establishes it for what other save Calvary could thus be named. So, I don't know. I, I just thought it was very fascinating. Um, I'd never heard that before. Um, kind of makes sense if you walk through, through that, and, and maybe, maybe some of you are out there like, well, of course it's that. You know, that's, that's what it is. I, I don't know, but I, I'd never heard that before. I thought it was kind of interesting. Second comparison between Isaac's offering and the cross of Calvary is the father setting apart the son for a sacrifice. The idea of the father setting apart the son for a sacrifice. In 1 Peter 1.20, it says, Without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world by his father. In um, Acts 2.22, it says, <coughs> The cross of Christ was according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So God had set this plan in motion from eternity past, right? We know that. Uh, Genesis 22, 3 and 4. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He's told by God, the verse prior, to go offer your son, Isaac. <coughs> Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place to which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So Abraham, the father, sets apart his son, Isaac, for this offering. This wasn't something that happened instantaneously. There was a three-day journey. Now, granted, it wasn't set apart in the foreknowledge of, of God before the creation of the world, like the, the salvation plan at Calvary and Christ's death on burial and resurrection on the cross. But this wasn't an instantaneous um, last minute decision by, by Abraham. All, he all of a sudden wasn't like, okay, get up here, let's go. You know, he had three days journey, right? So th this was a, um, he, he had, he had some time to, to kind of prepare it probably in his own mind what, what was going to be happening here too. Um, another comparison, carried the wood to the place of the sacri sacrifice. 
Verse 6, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his Isaac, his son, and took the fire in his hand and knife, and the two of them went together. Obvious comparison of Christ in John nineteen seventeen, and he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. So, again, a similar comparison, carrying the wood to the place of the sacrifice. <coughs> Another one. Transaction between a father and a son only. I thought this was very fascinating. Uh, Still in Genesis 22, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and split the wood for the burnt offering. Third day, Abraham lifted his eyes, saw the place afar off. Verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So he has these two men and the donkey and says, you guys stay here. The transaction that is about to happen is between a father and a son only. What about Christ? In Luke, if you want to keep your hand here, in in Luke... I'm going to turn there. Luke chapter 23, I think. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Again, these are just little nuanced things that I I guess I, a lot of this I, I had never really thought about or, I mean, you know the stories, but then you start putting the two and two together or you see the comparison or the list about a picture type. (coughs) Pretty fascinating. Luke twenty three thirty two says, And there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And then when they had come to the place called Calvary, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Two. Skipped on to verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. No one witnessed that transaction either. That was a transaction between God the Father and God the Son. Even those criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus on Calvary, they didn't witness complete darkness over all the earth. Um, Interesting, parallel, just kind of fascinating. (coughs) How about willing submission to his father? Um, back (coughs) Back to Genesis chapter 22 verse 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. They came to the place that God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, what we know about Isaac at this time frame was he was probably in the, depending upon what you listen to or read or whatever, um, like 15 to 20 years old in that age range. Now, Isaac or Abraham was, if, if Isaac's 15 to 20, Abraham's about 115 to 120. So the idea here that Abraham could have gotten his son Isaac, who was a teenager, late teenager, um, to do this without Isaac willingly submitting to his father is pretty, I mean, just even look at it from my terms. I have four kids in that range, 14 to 21 are my four kids. I can guarantee you there's no way I'm getting my two oldest boys on an altar and binding their hands without their willing cooperation. It is not happening. Now, my third boy, Dylan, a little smaller. He's not in here. He's in Sunday school right now. But I'm going to tell you, I couldn't even get him to do it. You know, I'm not going to tell him that. Don't tell him that because I, I need him to think that I'm still the man. But, but my oldest boys... That ain't happening. They'd look at me and be like, yeah, right, right? But there'd ha- there has to be a willing cooperation. And I'm 52. 
Isaac, Abraham was 120-ish or so, right? So there had to be a willing cooperation. Um, fascinating. Fascinating to think about that. Um, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, please. So we have this idea of a willing submission to the Father. In Philippians chapter 2, we see Jesus Christ in his submission, willing submission to his Father. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So we have Jesus Christ here, the different translations. Um, he did not consider being equal with God to, as something to exploit. He did not consider equality with God as a thing to be grasped. He chose not to cling to equality with God. This idea, the Greek word here for robbery, it talks about being clutched, embraced, prized, grasped, hung on to. He willingly said, had a voluntary willingness to submit to his father and come to earth as a man and die for our sins. He executed the plan, the Father's plan, to give us the opportunity to have first ten salvation, to be, to be saved, to, to accept Christ, to, to accept his completed work on our behalf and spend eternity in heaven. He had a willing submission to his Father. Interesting. A substitute sacrifice is provided. So here, as far as the, the picture type, it, it shifts here. There's a shift to, uh, it, the picture type actually passes now from Isaac to the ram. That, that's shown, or that's provided in the thicket. So back to Genesis 22. Abraham stretched, his nut, stretched out his hand, verse 10 took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide and said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So this idea here, a substitute sacrifice was provided. Um, a ram in the thicket. Um, and you can say, well, Isaac never died. So he didn't. But I, I thought this was fascinating as, as I... Um, Isaac was bound. He was on the he was on the altar, and in in, in Abraham's mind, he was as good as dead. Right? He was he was execute, He was carrying out that that judgment. He was he was carrying out. He was going to plunge that knife in his son. Um. But the Lord provided the sacrifice. He provided the ram in the thicket, um, unblemished because it was caught by its horns. So there, no part of its body was, I remember hearing that in Sunday school as a, as a kid. Just as Jesus Christ, <coughs> excuse me, the lamb is a substitute sacrifice for us all. So we have this idea of a substitute sacrifice. Jesus Christ we know in Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered in the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. So we're all born in sin. And we know that it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we, a penalty has to be paid, right? Um, but he sent his son, that substitute sacrifice, to pay the penalty for us. And again, this is a, 
having access to this great exchange, this great trade, um, is it's foundational for it, right? I mean, it's it's the it, it's the the whole it's it's the start of our Christian journey. We have to accept what He did for us, and then then we can experience second tense salvation and third tense salvation. But ultimately, we have to ex- be saved from the penalty of sin, um, as as we showed on on that uh, on that handout there. So. Um, Let's see, what else do I got here? Last one. Similar time frame of death. Three days, Genesis 22.4. I had never heard this before. I thought this was, was pretty neat. If you go to verse 4, it says, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So when he was told, take your son Isaac, um, the way... The way Pink calls it says, he said here, from the time that God commanded Abraham to offer up his only son Isaac, he was as good as dead to Abraham. And that time period was three days. I thought that was very fascinating, a little comparison there. Um, this verse in Hebrews, Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, but by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So this idea here that, I thought that that was really fascinating, the, the concept of three days, a three-day journey, and uh, the, the thought was, is because I, I, I was kind of having a hard time, you know, with that, but the thought of it, I thought he, he explained that very good, is that as soon as God commanded Abraham to offer up Isaac, Isaac was as good as dead to him. So, and then there was a substitute, substitute sacrifice provided. So just fascinating. Uh, again, th- this is all just interesting stuff. Um, 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 3 through 4, it says, For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and they rose again the third day according to the scripture. So, so a similar time frame of death. And I put death in quotes because Isaac didn't literally die. Um, you know, Christ Christ literally died, but then was rose again. But um, So obviously, with, with any sort of these picture types, there's... Uh, there's probably some breakdown there. So you think about Jehovah Jireh, and you think about what he provides, right? He provides first tense, salvation. Jehovah Jireh provides the fact that we can be saved from sin's penalty. Um, the fact that um, he, that is our greatest need, people. It's our absolute greatest need. This concept of justification, the fact that we're declared righteous um, because of our faith in what his, Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, um, this judicial act, um, and we are declared right, the, the moment we accept Christ as our personal savior, and um, we, we all of a sudden now are justified, we become a part of God's family. Um, we are accepted in the beloved. We have all these things that, that happen to us that moment. Um, and instantaneously, the, the Holy Spirit indwells us. We now go from a sin nature to an old sin nature. We have this, uh, you know, choose this day whom you're going to serve um, type of either you're serving, yielding to the Holy Spirit or you're serving yourself. Um, so that's, that's more second tense salvation as, as we move on here. So, um, but I trust that this uh, lesson was hopefully informative, hopefully encouraging, um, but ultimately the, the biggest takeaway is what I think what we need to remember is that because of Christ and because of God the Father and this plan of salvation, we, in the acceptance of that, um, his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf, we have an opportunity to be part of the greatest trade in history. And I'm thankful that, that I'm going to heaven, and I'm thankful that, <coughs> that we have an opportunity to, to preach Jesus Christ and uh, continue to do that. And uh, I, I guess with that, I, let's, uh, let's just close with a word of prayer. 
Dear Father in heaven, I do thank you for this day. Thank you for this time here. Thank you for even just uh, working through my uh, little cold here and, and just getting through this. And even thank you for the, the patience of each and every person here. Even just pray for uh, even this uh, idea of the fact that you do provide salvation, that you provide um, a way for us. You made a way where there was no way in our own strength. We're just so thankful for that. We're thankful for just the opportunity to, to be here, to spend time, to, to look into your word and to be encouraged by uh, just some of the principles and the truths in the word of God. We even think about this story that we went through today with Isaac as a picture type of, of Christ and his birth and, and his offering and, and just have a hopefully a, a greater understanding of, of who you are, Lord, and just the fact that, that you are a God that, that loves us that you're a God that uh, is always there for us. And, and, and most importantly, you're a God that's in control. And uh, we can just be encouraged by that and not, and not be discouraged. We just even pray for uh, the day uh, for each and every one here. Pray that uh, they would have an enjoyable day and, and just safety through the remainder of it. We thank you for all these things in your name. Amen.